Good morning, GF. Welcome to our online service. My name is Pastor Seth. I serve as the executive pastor here at Gospel Fellowship. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. As you can see, um, I am not alone this morning. I am joined by three amazing people from our church, and uh, they will be introducing themselves in just a minute. Um, Pastor Rod is on vacation with his family this week, um, so please, please keep them in prayer as they, they travel, um, just getting some much-needed rest and time together. Um, for this service, it's going to be a little bit different. We've been talking about this for a little while. This is the final part of our Justice series. Um, if you haven't uh, seen any of the Justice series yet, um, no worries. Just jump right in today. Um, but you are welcome to go back and watch those. Those are on our Facebook Live feed if you want to catch up. Um, so for today, usually we would do our have the sermon portion um, and then the live hangout afterwards. For today, we're kind of merging that um, into this panel discussion. Um, so there's no hangout afterwards. However, each of us will be in the comments section there with you. Um, if you have comments or feedback, um, please jump in there. Please share this video. Um, we want to hear from you. Um, and so with that, I uh, want to jump in here um, with this discussion, this panel discussion, talking about biblical justice. Um, so to kick things off, um, I'd like to revisit uh, a passage that we've um, brought, been in a couple times um, throughout this series from Matthew 25. Um, so I'm just going to read this quickly, um, and then we'll pray, and then I'm going to have our uh, panel introduce themselves. So from Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So would you just join me in prayer as we start this discussion? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that we can go to, the unshaking, unmovable truth Father, I thank you for your Son, our King, Jesus. God, we are a people that um, so often um, are, are uncertain of, of what is next, especially in these times, God. We want control. We want to know. But, God, I thank you that we serve a King who does know. God, I thank you that we serve a King who cares deeply for the least of these. God, we trust that each person on this earth was made by you, that you are our creator. And so, Father, I pray as we have this discussion today, as we think about um, what justice looks like in practical terms, um, whether they be initiatives or, or missional outreaches, uh, organizations, God, I pray that you would be stirring up in the hearts of each person watching, um, be placing in their hearts a seed, um, that you'd be placing in them a passion to, to do justice, to love mercy, God. Show them how you want to use them in that regard. In your name I pray, amen. So as I mentioned a little bit earlier, um, we have three uh, panelists here uh, with me, and we're going to take a chance to kind of talk through what does justice look like? What does justice mean in practical terms? Um, over the last five weeks, we've talked about different forms of justice, different forms of injustice. 
Um, and we wanted to take this week to look at um, what does justice look like on the ground, in the streets, in our community, um, in relationship. Um, so I also want to say this is not by any means supposed to be a, um, a completely comprehensive response. We're not claiming to have um, a silver bullet to have all the solutions. These are examples. Um, these are very imperfect people, I myself included, um, who God has placed in their hearts um, a passion and a desire to serve him in these ways. And so we want to give you, the church, a chance to hear from them with the hopes that God is stirring in you uh, something similar or maybe even something completely different. Um, and we want to encourage that and get behind that. And so let's just go down the row here, and I'll let each of you introduce yourselves. Um, we'll start with you, uh, Purnell. Um, so just share you know, what it is you do, your name, what it is you do professionally, um, how you serve at GF, and maybe just a little bit about um, the justice initiative that, that we're going to talk about today. Uh, good morning, family. My name is Purnell Gaines. Um, uh, by day, I am a software test engineer for a medical device company. Um, and other, every other time, uh, I serve GF as a deacon. Um, and the initiative that I'm working on leading uh, is to have GF become a Feeding South Florida, Feeding South Florida partner agent. Um, and that will involve us uh, distributing food to uh, East Point in particular, um, to those in need, um, providing meals in, in, this, in this time of great need. Um, so again, I'm just looking forward to that. Um, I'm from East Point. Uh, this God has placed in my heart for the last few years to do something. Um, I feel like I've uh, neglected it, um, the calling. Um, and just this opportunity came, I just could not resist. Um, it's a great opportunity to get in the community, um, give back, um, and just be faithful to what God has called us to do. As, as Pastor Seth read in Matthew 25, um, Jesus called us, he was starving. Uh, so let us do to the least of these. And so that, that's the, the passion that God's placed in my heart uh, and why I'm, I'm going forward with this uh, Feeding South Florida effort. Awesome, thank you. Edna? Um, good morning, GF. Um, my name is Edna Volmi. I am a mom, um, a wife. Um, I am a nurse practitioner, and the initiative that uh, I volunteer in um, is You Mom, um, whose mission is to um, empower, encourage, and equip young, um, expectant um, women uh, through um, education uh, with their uh, time in pregnancy, before pregnancy, during pregnancy, and after pregnancy, and just to educate them on how to um, go through their pregnancies um, healthily and to deliver healthy babies. Um, and as far as uh, my service with GF, um, I volunteer um, with Connections pre-COVID. Um, I volunteer also as uh, one of um, the Life Group leaders. Hey, good morning, Gospel Fellowship. Uh, name's Luther, and um, you know I, I work at Urban Youth Impact, and um, I'm, I'm I'm excited to be here. Uh, how I serve at Gospel Fellowship, uh, serve in the youth ministry, as well as uh, occasionally preach at times. Um, also with the life, serve with life groups as well. So I'm I'm excited for this conversation. Thank you all. Um, so first question I wanted to kind of pose to the group here. Um, and we're going to keep this kind of conversational style. We don't want it to be like an interview session or grilling anybody. Um, but I do feel like there's specific things that, that each person here has to share, and then there's things that we want to discuss together. So also I should add that we were just discussing before we went uh, on camera and discovered that all four of us actually consider ourselves to be introverts. Um, so, and then we figured, okay, four introverts combined probably make an extrovert. So that's what you're getting right now. So we're just gonna have a conversation. There's nothing, no pressure. We're just, we're just talking. Um, but for the first question, I wanna hear from you guys. Um, as we've talked, Pastor Rod has shared um, over the past several weeks about the tripod of justice. And I asked him actually last week why he picked tripod because I've never heard that before. And he said, honestly, it was just because he was looking at a camera and it was sitting on a tripod. So. <laughs> Whenever inspiration strikes. Um, and so we have the three legs of the tripod. Um, and you have punishment, um, provision, and protection. And I'm sure like many of you, uh, you know, I feel like when I hear the word justice, my mind tends to go to the punishment side. Um, 
kind of the kind of the, the strong arm of, of justice. Um, and it's something we want to be doing today uh, as part of this panel is focusing on the other two, the protection and the provision side, and just how vital those two, two legs of the tripart are to understanding biblical justice. Um, so I just want to open that up uh, to each of you as, as you serve in different capacities, um, whether it's with, with Urban Youth or, or UMOM or Feeding South Florida, which is a brand new initiative that we're getting ready to start. Um, how do you see that contributing to um, protection um, and or provision for, for people? I'll go first. Um, so with you, Mom, um, basically we're uh, coming alongside um, women that are expected, um, whether it was an unplanned pregnancy or a planned pregnancy, especially for first-time mothers. It could be um, very nerve-wracking just knowing that you're bringing a baby into the world, or even a teenage mom that the pregnancy was unplanned and maybe grappling with thoughts of abortion, but just coming alongside um, that expectant mother and letting them know or, or helping them to pretty much, pretty much educating them to let them know that um, they're not alone. Um, it's hard in itself to go through this by yourself, but we like to um, encourage them so that they know that there is, you can get through this with God's help, you can get through your pregnancy, and just speaking of justice, um, you know, um, God is a God of justice, and you know, we are created in His image. And as um, you know, um, people that reflect the image of God, we should also care about justice. And so, justice starts from in the womb. And so, when you talk about an unborn child, like who speaks for them? And so, just as far as um, you know, we are talking about justice, being there to. Uh, to help encourage these women to go through this pregnancy and to carry that unborn child. Um, yeah. I actually have a quick, I mean, I'll let you go in just a second. A quick follow-up question for, for Edna. Um, I know you're really one of the, the vision of you, Mom, I actually wrote down um, of you, Mom, is um, to encourage, equip, and empower young and expectant mothers and their children, mm -hmm. and to equip the church to be a safe place for them to thrive. So. Um, and I know one of the kind of the passions of you, Mom, is to address um, not just the abortion issue. Um, I think so often the church is known for its stance on, you know, for being pro-life, which is we should be. Um, but so often that stops at being anti-abortion. Um, so how have you, have you encountered kind of a, um, whether it's a cautiousness about you, Mom, if, whether they, if they know it's faith-based, um, what have been these these ladies' responses to how you've attempted to make this, you know, serving them more than just about discouraging an abortion, but serving the whole person and, and the child? Um, so we haven't had that experience yet. However, um, as the women and the young ladies, the women are coming into you, mom, um, we let them know that it's, you know, it's open to all women. Um, and so we don't necessarily harp on, you know, you have to have this child, you have to have this baby, but basically every volunteer in you, mom, is a mom as well, uh, whether it's a first time mom or, you know, you have multiple children. So we encourage the ladies and letting them know that you know, we've been through it. We're walking alongside them in this journey of theirs uh, to into parenthood and into motherhood. And so that they know that they're not on this journey alone. And so we have not encountered anyone as far as mentioning abortion. Um, but we just let them know this is a new journey. It's It can be scary. It is scary. And so that they know that they're not alone in this journey and that we want to partner with them. We want to help encourage, equip in any way that we can, mainly through the form of education, but any way that we can come alongside them, we try to encourage that. Even from, you know, uh, from advertising you, Mom, that's how we pretty much approach that. Okay, awesome, thank you. Luther, do you want to comment on the kind of provision, protection, and, and kind of what you see um, and, and how you're serving? Yeah, I, I was just amening. <laughs> you were right, so amening? I was, okay. I was amening her because right. I, I really like something that she said about who is going to advocate for them. Like, that really, that's, that's both values because it's just like, man, even, like, before you come out, like, 
there's this there's this opposition against life there's this warfare and it's just like i i was just i was just kind of amening that for a moment because that's that's powerful like this idea that man um we're really in a spiritual battle like we sometimes forget that um and so when we don't think like that we can be passive or or it'll limit our view we think it's just about what's happening here but but like life outside of that if it started when you know before you came into this world there's there's a lot of justice to be done outside of you know being out of the body i don't know if that makes sense but um yeah absolutely thank you for your shot for amening that that was good and i'll go ahead and uh, save my brother here um so i'll go ahead and jump in there got you bro appreciate um so for uh being a partner with <clears throat> excuse me feeding south florida i think it's pretty straightforward um uh, from nursing mothers to kids trying to go to school, if, if people aren't getting the proper nutrition, uh, aren't eating, um, it's tough for that kid to go to school and focus if he's got his belly grumbling. Um, it's tough for that mother to make milk if she's not getting the proper nutrients. It's tough for um, that father to go to work and, and if he has a physical job to be able to produce at a high level uh, if he doesn't have the nourishment in his body. Um, and one great thing about Feeding South Florida is they're not just giving uh, food, um, bad food, let's say. Um, they, they try to get nutritious food into the hands of people that may not be able to um, get access to it. And so that's one great thing about the organization, um, why I think it's a great fit for us, um, just because people need to eat. Um, if you're not eating, it's, it's hard to function. Um, so I think that goes right with provision and, and protection because um, the healthier you are, the, the better you eat. Um, that has long-ranging effects on your health. Um, just you're healthier, lifespan longer, and, and able to be more productive and function uh, in your day-to-day -day life. Yeah, sure. can you share a little bit, too, just about, um, I know you shared earlier, you know, you grew up in East Boynton. Um, you're from there. What does it look like um, for I think as as a as a church, sometimes we see ourselves as outsiders um, to a community. Maybe if we're if we're not from there, we're going in, we're trying to help. Are we really making an impact? Are we doing what's best for the community? Um, what are some ways that you've kind of processed that? And I know you shared you, you felt like God has been putting this on your heart for a little while, um, and it took you a little while before you before you kind of committed and jumped. Like, what was the the connection there for you from from going from kind of an emotional response to um, to taking action like what what did that process look like for you um for me again it's just something that's kind of been um, in my heart for the last few years um, just missing opportunities maybe even to connect with Luther and in, in, in urban uh, youth um, um, just things like that and I think just things came to a head of just weighing on my heart heavily, heavily, um, to now in this, in the sense of social injustice that we have going on, uh, that it's come to a head and the, the protests and things like that. Um, and then this, this message series that Pastor Rodney is, is, is going with, uh, this, the other two, um, sides of the tripod of justice. Uh, it's just, it was a, a lot of things just coming to head to where it's like, I got to do something. And this opportunity just kind of came up, which again, we know God works in mysterious ways. He has us all woven into his tapestry of, of this thing called life. Um, and I think he just made it so that I'll be in the right place at the right time for this. But I think it's just the opportunity coming at a time when passion was growing, just like the, the, the two young ladies that we had last week on the Hangouts, um, P4H, um, just the passion that they exuped on camera um, which wasn't faking at all. It was just naturally, it was zooming out of them for them wanting to have a passion for Haiti. Um, that passion was growing inside of me. Again, it's not gonna come out <laughs> like it does with them because as you announced earlier, we're four introverts up here. Uh, but I assure you, it's, it was dwelling up inside of me. It's there. It's, it's there, it's, it's deep down in there, boiling like a pressure cooker. You just won't see the steam coming out. But um, it, it was just all these things coming to a head and just God providing an opportunity um, for me to do something. Um, and again, it's not exactly an area that I'm, I'm an expert in. It's just a willingness to say, okay, God, I'm going to go. I put this on, on hold long enough. I've got to do something. I, I, yeah. I'm going to learn along the way. I'm going to stumble and fall, but I just find peace in knowing that, okay, I'm walking in the direction you want me to go. So even if I stumble and fall on my face, 
you're going to use that. Yeah. Uh, we're studying Jonah in a Bible study at work, and, and, and I forgot about this until we were reading again, but Jonah's on the boat trying to run away. God said, go to Nim. He's like, nah, I'm going to get on his boat, dip out. And then the storm comes, and then the sailors reluctantly threw him overboard after he told them what was going on, and they didn't really want to throw him overboard, um, but they reluctantly did. And so we know fast forward, the storm stops, and there's a passage where the sailors, um, again, I equated to, uh, became believers essentially in that moment. And even in Jonah's uh, disobedience, God used that to reach people. So after just meditating on that, I'm like, man, if he can use Jonah's disobedience to reach people, like then even if, again, I'm a type A planner, even if I fail in my eyes at some part of this process, God is a God that can redeem anything. He can use anything. He'll use my seeming failures for his glory. I don't know how that's going to look, but it's my job just to walk it. Even if it's me falling on my face, um, I just got to walk it and, and trust that whatever happens is his and he's going to use it to his glory. Amen. That needs some amening, right, Luther? Amen. I appreciate I it. <laughs> stop it, guys. Stop it. We don't like attention. So you had mentioned last week, and if... If you did not catch the hangout from last week, um, Mimi hosted it with um, P4H, as Pernell mentioned. Yeah. That is worth going back to watch. Yeah. Um, just if you skip ahead um, to the end there and, and, and watch that. Definitely worth it. Um, that hangout led to a couple of questions in, in my mind that I wanted to kind of get your, you guys' thoughts on. Um, one of which, just to kind of echo what Pernell was saying, was so encouraging. Um, was hearing, hearing the passion, but also their humility and, and recognizing, as they said, you know, we knew so little when we started, we just, but we obeyed. Um, and looking back now, they realized, well, we really had no idea what we were doing, but God sustained the whole thing. And if we keep being faithful, we should look back several years from now on today and say the same thing. We really didn't know what we were doing, but God sustained it. Um, and man, that, that's such a great testimony for, I think, for all of us where we're at as we're trying to serve um, and as God's allowing us to serve him in, in different capacities. Um, something that they had, had brought up last week, which caught my attention, um, was on this topic of sustainability. And they had um, thrown out a resource, a book called Toxic Charity, um, which I don't know if any of you guys have. I know you've read part of it. Luther, have you? Yeah. Um, so I've, I've read a little bit of it. Um, and a couple lines in there kind of caught my attention. I wanted to get your uh, just thoughts on this as it, as it pertains to the dish, different initiatives we're, uh, we're involved in here. So let me find it here. Um, so the author is kind of contrasting, um, contrasting mercy and justice. Um, and as we know, this justice series, we keep going back to, to Micah 6.8. Um, you know, to do, do justly, to, to love mercy. Um, and so this is what the, the author says in Toxic uh, Charity. Mercy without justice degenerates into dependency and entitlement, preserving the power of the giver over the recipient. Justice without mercy is cold and impersonal, more concerned about rights than relationships. But mercy combined with justice creates immediate care with a future plan, emergency relief and responsible development, uh, short-term intervention and long-term involvement, heart responses and engaged minds. Um, that really hit me, just his ability to say that succinctly um, and, and kind of juggling those two, you know, justice and mercy. Um, I think it's easy for us to have a emotional response. Uh, we don't really have to work on that. Um, to want to, to show mercy and to, to do something. Um, but how have each of you, um, just whether it's with, with Feeding South Florida, as we're looking at Urban Youth or UMOM, as a church, how, how, do we, how do we embrace both, both justice and mercy? So I read that, that book a, a couple years ago, and something that really stuck out and resonated with me is just this idea of, like, you, you can't have justice initiatives that make, peop, make a community dependent. So you have to work out solutions where you're empowering people so that now the community could go and do it themselves. And so one example of that would be um, without, I mean, I mean, I only know so many organizations, but, but this organization has, has worked through this. One thing they used to do was um, 
they used to have like these Christmas store drives. And what would happen is they would just flood out to the whole, the whole community to give a whole bunch of free stuff, free toys, this, that, and the third. Parents would come with their kids. It was usually single mothers coming and getting a whole bunch of kids, I mean, a whole bunch of toys. And then after that, when they got a whole bunch of toys, I mean, they would have people there wrapping it up for them and whatnot, they would leave. Um, it was cool in the game, nothing wrong with you know, giving gifts, but it, it wasn't really empowering the parents. The people that ended up being the hero was whatever the organization was. So now something that they did differently is, um, well, it was a faith-based organization, so now they, they ministered to the families, um, and they had the families um, work through, you know, um, I, I don't know if it was a small fee that was put towards getting the gift, like, like it could be like dirt cheap, like I don't know, for example, like two bucks or something. And then the parents would like wrap it up and they would do it together. And it was more of now like when the parent would go home on Christmas day, they were, they were more of a hero instead of the organization. So something like that. And that's not um, the only kind of example, but I mean, you don't just wanna always um, like, whether it's panhandling, hand out money and think that's, that's gonna remove the solution. I mean, if you look at justice long-term, it's looking at how can I put you in a place um, to, that you could look out, yourself, uh, look out for yourself and be in a better situation. So you, um, there's a guy who, are you guys familiar with the book Boundaries at all? Yeah. So Boundaries is a pretty good book, but he, uh, one thing I think there's boundaries in ministry, but one cool thing about that is he talks about um, just this idea of like, you have your own knapsack, everyone carries their own knapsack, but you help people with boulders. So like, if someone's going through a crisis, if man, something happened in Haiti or this place or that place, you wanna immediately come to that situation. Someone loses a family member or whatnot, you're coming to crisis type situations. But there's your daily knapsack or your daily load that each man is supposed to carry himself and you can't carry that for them because it's a knapsack. So um, that's kind of how like, I think that's what toxic charity kind of speaks to and, and balances out a little bit. Yeah. Pernal, I kind of want to get your thoughts on that too, just with this uh, partnership with Feeding South Florida, um, getting ready to start soon, you know, and, and the very nature of Feeding South Florida, which is providing food for families that need it. Um, so kind of along those lines of, of justice and mercy, um, what have you kind of wrestled with um, or weighed kind of as, as it considers our church's involvement um, with Feeding South Florida and, and sustainability for the people that we're serving? Uh, no, that's a great question, um, especially for this type of deal, because uh, as we mentioned, um, toxic charity um, hits on just giving a handout or, or different things like that may do more harm um, than good as far as sustainability, um, making fam individuals feel empowered, like the, the gifts uh, solution that you just mentioned. Um, so I think if we just stop there with just feeding somebody, that's a great thing. There's, feeding South Florida does an amazing job with it, uh, giving them healthy food. Um, I think just stopping there may have a spiral short. Um, one thing that um, in my heart I believe is I feel like this is a way of, of us getting our foot in the door of, of for people, for East Point in particular. Um, I think it's through relationships, um, giving us opportunity to be in the community. Um, I think you moms is doing a great job, Urban Youth Impact's doing a great job of building those relationships through the interactions of those different efforts. Um, I'd see Feeding South Florida as just another opportunity for Gospel Fellowship to be uh, the hands and feet of, of Christ in the East Point community. Um, we are giving out food, um, helping with Feeding South Florida's mission, um, but it's a way for us to to reach out to people, to provide opportunities to connect with people, um, so that maybe months down the line, once we get up and running, uh, someone has a problem. You're like, you know what? Let me let me try out this these gospel fellowship people. They they've been giving out food weekly for the last couple months. Uh, let me look at the website. Uh, let me give one of those deacons a call. They say they're here for our community. Let's 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 put them to the test. Um, I think it's just it's opening doors for opportunities for us to 
to be something sustainable in the community. Um, so I think if we just stop at that point of weekly giving out food, we fall short. But I think just being open to the opportunity and, and letting God work to see what he's gonna do with it. Because I think just being in the community, being regular, um, regular, regularly there um, will be a face that hopefully people will be able to go to. Hopefully they'll see Christ in us. Um, and so in my mind, that's the goal. Um, and again, just through those connections, through those opportunities, through those relationships, um, will come sustainability. Like uh, an example I have is more like in, in your area, YL, shout out to you. Um, he had an idea. So he served faithfully with, with Luther um, for a period with Urban Youth Impact going there weekly. Um, and he just had an idea just chatting up with them. I think you were there, Seth, too, uh, is that uh, a lot of young, young kids um, in these environments, what do they see like as far as futures and being able to provide? Um, it's either a rapper, uh, ball player, or if they need to make money quickly, is in illegal formats. Um, but there's so many jobs that people just don't know about, even just within the cities, because Wild works for the city. Um, and so there's so many jobs and opportunities. He had an idea of just creating a, a, a bank of, of jobs or, or, or walking these kids through, okay, these are different jobs. Let me show you how you can get, get on with these jobs. It's perfectly legal, legit. It's a potential career path. Um, and again, that comes through the relationship building through Urban Youth Impact as far as being there weekly, seeing these, seeing these young men weekly, uh, being able to give them this extra information, like they do their stuff for Urban Youth Impact, but then also on top of that, they can, uh, with YL's idea, uh, you can provide extra information to help them have a better uh, way of life, uh, a longer sustainability as opposed to going left in one of these um, bad directions. Uh, and so I, that, that's kind of how I see uh, being South Florida. It's an opportunity to be in the community, to love in the community. Um, I'm going to murder President Roosevelt's quote, uh, people don't care what you know until you, they know that you care. And this is a step for us showing GF, showing the community that GF, we care. Um, and so if you want some, need something, here's what we know. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. And keep your eyes out for more information on getting involved with Feeding South Florida. Um, Purnell has been putting in a ton of work, um, just kind of on the back end, getting this ready to go so that when we're ready to start serving, we've got our ducks in a row, we've got a location, we've got the logistics in place. Um, and we're just really excited about, as a church, being able to be involved in this uh, initiative very soon. Um, and kind of, as I was thinking about sustainability, and also going back to, uh, again, the, the discussion with P4H last week and the emphasis on education. Um, I know that's something that's very close to the heart of the UMOM team, is, is, and you shared earlier on this education piece. Um, and just a, a stat that I had heard recently was, um, I wrote it down here, um, that African-American women are three to four times more likely to die in childbirth than their counterparts, which is just staggering. Um, so as you look at, at like the, at the community that you're serving at the, the, the moms or the moms to be that, that you're serving, how does education play a role in that? Um, and, um, again, kind of going into that sustainability discussion, like how are you helping these moms to, um, you're not just giving them supplies and, and things to help them immediately, which you are, but how does the education kind of help the, help prepare them for the future? Yeah. So, um, that is the main thing that we do with you, mom, is, is just educating the women, especially for the first time mothers um, that had an unexpected pregnancy um, may not know, you know, um, pregnancy in and of itself is a miracle. And um, just being a minority, African-American, um, Latino, um, Alaskan, three to four times more likely to die, you know, really to pregnancy complications, and most of which are preventable. So um, just educating them on, you know, prenatal care, the importance of prenatal care, the importance of um, nutrition, um, the importance of, um, you know, postpartum care, and just letting them know these are the risks that can happen and, um, through pregnancy, I mean, myself personally, um, with my second pregnancy, um, I was diagnosed with preeclampsia. I was educated, I was informed about preeclampsia, as well as the, um, you know, the complications that can come afterwards. And, you know, for some people that do know what happened with, with my pregnancy, 
you know, knowing ahead of time, educating these women so that they're aware if you're pregnant and you all of a sudden start experiencing headaches, you know, just knowing, you know, maybe you should bring this up in your, in your, um, in your prenatal care, your checkup, let your, your provider know, you know, I've been experiencing, you know, these headaches. And I remember hearing in you, mom, that, you know, this could be a sign of hypertension and hypertension during pregnancy, preeclampsia. And so the education aspect is huge. Um, we want them to be prepared and know, not to scare them, but to know the complications that can occur during pregnancy and just to be able to communicate their concerns with their providers. Um, I'm not sure why there is this disparity, um, but it is, and there are different initiatives in uh, healthcare systems, pretty much healthcare reform, but that are trying to decrease the disparities as far as it relates to um, um, pregnancy-related complications in, in the minority group. But uh, with education, educating these women, um, first-time pregnancy, um, even those that have been pregnant before but have never heard of the term preeclampsia or have never heard of the term um, RSV with, with your children, with the babies. Um, that whole education aspect is huge so that we want to empower them so that they know when they're going to speak with their provider, concerns to bring up, you know, write down your questions, talk to your provider about this, ask questions, and, and do your part as far as keeping yourself as healthy as you can just to prevent, you know, some of these, these issues with pregnancy. I'm not sure. Did I answer the question? I think you did. <laughs> okay. Yes. Thank you. Um, I want to switch gears just a little bit, and, and we've touched on this somewhat just on the topic of, of systems and injustice of uh, racial injustice, um, which were two of the different topics we covered during this series. Um, and just thinking some a little bit of what, what Purnell was saying, um, just about the community that, that we're serving um, and opportunities afforded to kids, or at least the perception of, of what those opportunities are or lack of opportunities is what you were you were sharing about you know the way out is either you know sports or or music um, or you know drugs um, and I, I had read a uh, been reading uh, Trevor Noah's book uh, Born a Crime which is has been eye-opening um, I actually lived in South Africa as as a child, and when I realized as I was reading his book, the fact that we're the same age, um, and I was living in the same country as he was at the same time, and yet reading his completely different perspective on the country and his upbringing than what I experienced. I mean, it was really sobering. Um, and he writes um, in there about what he calls, we call it here sometimes the poverty tax or the black tax is what he refers to it as. And it was a phrase he says his mother coined uh, called the black tax. And she says it's because the generations who came before you have been pillaged um, because of systemic racism. Rather than being free to use your skills and education to move forward, you lose everything just trying to bring everyone behind you back up from zero. So I had to read that a couple times um, to let it sink in. Um, and I've heard from a, a few other people who have felt like they relate to that. Um, I'm curious, you know, as you're in the community, if that's something that you wrestle with, that you see. Um, Luther, I'm going to ask you first. And how do you, how do you bring hope to these kids that maybe this is, this is, all, the, this is all they know? Um, and maybe they don't have that hope because they're just seeing, well, if I, if I make it, I can never really get ahead because I'm just going to be bringing everyone along behind me. Um, so just curious your, your perspective on that um, and kind of how, how do you inject the hope of the gospel um, into people's lives that, that might be wrestling with that? Well, uh, the way you inject that hope of the gospel is when you preach the gospel. You don't just preach the gospel, but... Well, we'll get to that next. <laughs> but you do <laughs> preach it. Um, and also you care about tangible needs. So like you, you read Matthew 25, um, I think Pernell referenced it a, a moment ago too, like as you're preaching the gospel, you're, you're caring about the concerns of what's happening now because God cares about eternal things and he also cares about the here and now. You know, as Jesus would preach, right, he would not just send the crowds away without a good old, a good old meal, a good old warm cook. 
uh, some some fish sticks and, and not just, <laughs> but he he would he would take care of them and he, it would be wrong for him because well he's just so he wouldn't do it it would be wrong for him to just say well they got the thing that mattered the spiritual the spiritual need and so um, I think in regards to like those kids or urban youth um, we we try to break snow globes and that's just a, a phrase that we use as you know when you think about a snow globe. Um, it's a phrase we use at Urban Youth, where we're trying to like expose them to something outside of what's in this this ball, right? And so, um, when they think this is the only way, we, we show them this is not the only way. You know, you you show them examples like YL, who's an engineer and and you know and who's you know married and whatnot. And when they see other people that look like them that are are doing these kind of things, uh, when we mentor them, it looks more realistic. You know, that's why it's important that, uh, well, anybody can mentor them. It doesn't have to just be um, African-Americans um, because we have a whole bunch of um, you know, white people, Latina, and all kinds of people doing mentorship. But it's important for you know, black people to be out there too and, and mentoring too. And it's important for them to see a, a healthy uh, you know, black family dynamic. And, um, and so just kind of walking through that with them, um, aspirations and goals that they have, trying to see how can we help walk alongside them. So like one thing um, Nari used to do, my wife, um, when we were doing Urban Youth was a lot of the kids were telling me, hey Luther, I want a job, can you help me get this job? And I would uh, go to Chick-fil-A and try to talk to people for them. <laughs> However, uh, my wife is more better at the resume building and she's more like organized than me and all that. So my wife would go to the library with them, sit down at the library and work through the resume with them. And so like, that is, that's an, an example of that, you know? Um, and I think Jackie recently, he was telling me about him doing that, something like that this week with some of the kids he was playing soccer with. He was trying to help them find a job, calling people in. Like that is some, some, some loving kind of work. Now, it would, it would be enabling if you just did it all by yourself. But if you're doing it with them, you know, it's empowering um, because sometimes people are, are fearful and want help and so like just, you could do it with them, you know? And um, so that's, that's one of the ways you could kind of give uh, help to someone in the inner city. Um, one of the main. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, so much of it comes back to relationship. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love just kind of how you, how you close that with, you know, you're bringing people along with you. Yeah. It's not just the education piece. You know, it's not just a lecture and then, well, you know, good luck. Good luck, buddy. Um, it's here. You know, let me let me show you how. Uh, let me help you. All right. So, Luther, um, as you were sharing, you know, you had mentioned something about, you know, you need to preach the gospel, but not just preach the gospel. Um, so I want to circle back around to that because I know that's something you and I have had some conversations about. I um, want to just kind of go into that a little bit more in depth. Um, how have you kind of grappled with different messages, you know, within, I would say within Christianity, but I know it's closer than that within, you know, even from people that you respect and love. Um, and it's kind of these two opposing viewpoints. Um, you know, on, on one hand, you have people that will say, you know, just preach the gospel, everything else is a distraction. So, um, you know, anything regarding social justice or, or Black Lives Matter uh, or protesting, whatever it is, it's a, it's a distraction. And, and the only thing that matters are our souls being being saved. Um, and then on the other side, you kind of have this, um, you know, some people call like the social gospel movement, where the only things that matter are, are is theology that fits into my social framework. Um, where, I, I guess I want to say, ask you personally, kind of what has your journey looked like as you've kind of wrestled with that? And then... Um, kind of how you've, you've grappled with that as it, as it relates to the church um, in general, like Big C Church um, is something that, I'll, you know, as, as the body, we Big C, because that's something, you know, churches all over, especially, you know, particularly the U.S., have been asking and, and wrestling with right now. So um, would you mind just sharing a little bit about kind of what, what God's laid on your heart over the past few months? And No, that's, that's a loaded question. That's a good question. Um, I, th I think when, I, when people say just preach the gospel, um, and, I, and I think for some, for some people it's well-intended, you know, like you're trying to just communicate, like focus on the things that are essential, focus on the things that matter. Um, 
But there's a huge gap in that kind of thinking uh, when you say just preach the gospel as a response to those that are concerned about justice issues at large, you know, like, and for the people that say that, um, and sometimes just regurgitate it because they hear some big name pastor probably, you know, in California or something say it, uh, what is that, shots? No. Um, but if, 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 you, if you just hear the big, the big guys um, say it, um, they're not really thinking through what that means and not being intellectually honest with that because you don't say that for any other situation. Like if your, your daughter, your kids are, are sick or whatever, you're not going to just say, um, like if, if Pernell says, hey, my daughter's not feeling well, blah, 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 I'm not going to say, hey, just preach the gospel to her. Like that's not caring and that's not, that's not loving and that's not a good reflection of the gospel. However, at the same time, for some that say it, um, who are just trying to make sure that we keep our focus on things that are, are, are gospel focused and are important to things concerning the kingdom, like it's a good concern, you know, um, and, and a lot of it is a response to the other extreme side of people that are so focused on just social issues, you know, and that is, that's a good critique, but I've yet to meet Christian, like legit serious Christians that are only completely concerned about social issues and do not care about things eternal. You know what I'm saying? Like, I haven't met them, so I don't know who they're talking to. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that's what, that's something that comes up. Because if you, if you talk to a lot of gospel-centered believers that are concerned about justice, a lot of times they hold both of them highly. You just haven't, you've talked past them, you haven't really kind of, uh, uh, sought to understand. Um, so, so that's kind of how I would respond to that. Um, but I think, I think there just needs to be a healthy balance. Like the gospel is of first importance. We, we see that in the scripture. At the same time, the gospel compels us to love our neighbor. You know, like it's, it's a response. I, I do this because of the gospel, you know, not because I'm trying to gain God's, uh, earn God's salvation by trying to do you moms or urban youth or feeding South Florida. Like, I'm not doing that to gain approval from God. You know what I'm saying? And, and if someone's wrestling with that, that's just what, that's what discipleship's for. You talk through that. Just like anybody can idolize anything. You can idolize your marriage. You can idolize your kids, this, that. We don't, we don't tell them, you know, forget about your family. Forget about your wife and children because you idolize it. No, we give you a healthier perspective on how you should see those gifts that God has given you. So for those that are just saying, just preach the gospel as a response, they're not being fair because no one really holds that truth out fully. When you're having a bad day, I mean, you do want to preach the gospel. Um, however, we preach the gospel and we always, um, as well, care about tangible, actual needs. So. I want to follow up with um, something I've asked and I just kind of want to ask publicly because I think it's worth hearing your thoughts on this again. Um, how, do you, how do you hang on to hope um, when you're going through a summer like you have been, um, when you're dealing with um, the news yet again of... Um, you know, an innocent black man that was killed, you know, and now again in the same summer, you know, twice. Um, and then at the same time you're hearing from, from friends, maybe people well-meaning or not, the, the, this kind of just preach the gospel piece. Um, but I know of, you know, many in the, in the white community, say the white evangelical community, who are really wondering what, what can we do? What are we supposed to do? Because there's, I think a fear of saying the wrong thing um, or of, I don't know. I think that's honestly one of the bigger fears um, and something, you know, you helped me realize uh, along with several of the people this summer was there's a desire um, there to be, to be asked, you know, for, for me as, as the majority culture to reach out and ask you, are you doing okay? Um, what can I, can I listen? Can I, you know, um, but on the other side of that is, I know exhaustion, you know, of at times feeling like you've had to explain yourself one too many times. Um, so how do you, you know, the, I mean, there's a lot of emotions. Um, 
How do you how do you how do you pursue and, and cling to hope during that time? I mean, I know there's a cliche answer to that, but I just kind of want to hear you personally how you've kind of wrestled with that. And and as someone who I know is approached by people of other cultures to get to get your opinion to ask what to do, what do I say? Um, how do you weigh that? What kind of a response do you give? Yeah, and um, and I do want to say I appreciate times you have reached out to me and um, just the wisdom that you shared, um, the balance, and, um, and I appreciate that, you know. Um, I, think, I think we need, a, we, we need to create a safe place for other ethnicities to be able to, you know, um, have these conversations with us. And um, I mean, if, if, if not, then there's always going to be that, that rift and that divide. Um, but for me, how I keep hope is uh, I'm hopeful because I know that, one, God's on the throne. And so at the end of the day, this is not all that there is to life. Like, if this is the only life, then it's not too hopeful, you know. Um, and I'm also hopeful because people, people are aware of things, and they're also putting feet to the ground to do something about it. So, like, I don't go to that other extreme uh, area of where the media is feeding us like, oh, all hope is lost and, and we're all dying and we're burning. And there's a reality where there's actually injustices happening. Um, another aspect is we're more aware of it. They were always happening. We're more aware of it because of the media. Um, but I know that there is, there is brothers and sisters, allies from other ethnicities, other people group, and there is um, black people as well that are actually pushing more towards this and doing something about it, you know? Um, so, I mean, I don't know if anybody wanted to speak to that, but, but that's one hopeful thing for me on the ground, as well as the ultimate hope I have, like, God actually cares. Like, I was reading Exodus, like, a while back, um, and one thing that stuck out to me is, while this was happening and while God was hardening Pharaoh's heart, he always had a plan all along to get them out of Egypt. Like, that's, that's amazing to me, because it's like, while it was happening, he, that was his plan, and not only was that his plan, but like, Pharaoh's heart was getting hardened, he was acting like he was gonna let the people go, but then he decided to change his mind. More harsh things happened, it said that he told his, his people like, all right, beat them or work them twice as hard. And so like, they had more opposition from the God of justice who planned to fully deliver them eventually. And that's an interesting part of the story that you could just gloss over if you just, you know, but it's like, we will go through some suffering in life and there's gonna be some things that, that break our heart when we see it, but like there's more to the story. There's, there's gonna be some parts of the story we don't fully understand. You look at Job's life, you see the same thing. You look at Joseph, who his brothers threw him in jail. Like there was a whole plan uh, in even the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like who would have thought, you know? So that's, that's what gives hope. Yeah, I'll kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, I second that uh, God's, knowing that God is a God that's in all power, all control, uh, and part of his master plan. Because um, I, I remember being on, seeing a video, somebody sent me a video uh, a while back of, just after Joyce Floyd, but a video of a young man being um, beaten, essentially, and it's like, that by an officer. And it's like, that was so unnecessary, and it just kind of, it was in the middle of a work day, and I, I just couldn't work. I just had to get up and take a walk, because um, it's just, it's just like really again, like, yeah. not that he had a weapon. I, there was no logical in my mind, no logical reasoning for the type of physical abuse in which his officer dealt out to this young man. There, there was absolutely no call for it, as he's calling out, crying out for mercy. Um, and so it just moved that day. I would just. It just felt so overwhelming in that moment, in, in that hour that I walked around. Um, it's just like, man, this is, this is crazy. I can't see how this is gonna end. Um, but then I think the Holy Spirit kind of spoke to me and, and kind of, and one thing that really solidifies God's plan is um, if you read through Revelation, uh, we went through that again in my work uh, Bible study, even to the time where Jesus comes back to the great battle there are the kings of this earth that unite with, uh, with Satan to fight against him. And it, as we were going through it, in my mind, I'm like, really, all this stuff that's happened in Revelation, and you people still like, are going to fight against Christ? 
yeah, still don't get it. And, and so in my mind, I'm like, you know, they're going to pe- people, obviously, that are going to hell. Uh, I don't want that. God doesn't want that. But he has a plan leading all the way up to that point. He knows. He has this thing called Book of Life. He knows everybody that's going to make it in and everybody that's not going to make it in. Um, and for me, being a type A person, like I mentioned before, and, and loving and have a plan, just knowing that God's intricate plan is, is so amazing just to see what he's done in my life, um, to know that, okay, all I have to do is run my race. I have to do what he's called me to do. I can't fix the injustice completely by myself. I wish I could. I wish I was Thanos and snap a finger and uh, fix everything, but I can't. Sorry, that's spoiler alert um, for you Marvel fans. But I know that I can't. And so, like, there's a corny saying, like, how do you eat a whale one bite at a time? That, that's the way I see it. My race is whatever God has placed in my path, whatever he's prepared me for for the last 30-some-odd years, I have to walk that. I find rest in that, knowing that that's my part in his master plan, which is way more intricate than my little brain uh, can even fathom. And even if it's just a small part, like, I find rest in that. Like, the race that I'm running... Uh, it's nowhere near the race that Billy Graham ran. He, he ran an amazing race, like fireworks and everything. Pastor Rodney's running a great race. That, those, that's not my race. My race is, at this point in my life, to do what I can to, to, to help GF become a Feeding South Florida uh, partner. That's, that's my race. If it's even just to touch two people's lives, that's my race that I find rest in and find hope in that, again, he's, he's in full control. This is his master plan. I'm going to do the parts that he's called me to do. I can't do everything. And then again, in the grand scheme of our human eyes, my part may be this big. Other people may have bigger portions. Uh, but I need to be faithful and do well the parts that he's called me to do. Amen. I just want to just add to that, too, that, um, yeah, um, God is in full control. And I know that sounds so cliche, but... Um, I just know that I have to remind myself of that every day because in light of everything that's been going on, the racial injustice, you know, the pandemic, everything, um, just trying to think that we have um, control over anything, I just, I think that just breeds anxiety. And just with everything that has been going on on, on, on the media, it has been heavy on my heart, has made my heart very heavy. But I think that just like you guys shared, like, countless stories in the Bible of how God always had a plan from the beginning. Even if we mess it up all the time, we always, we always find some way to mess it up. But just like Purnell, say, um, Purnell said, um, he has, you, you are running your race. I can only run my race. And we just take it one day at a time. And that's something that it sounds so elementary, but I have to do that. Like every day remind myself, God is in control and he has a plan. Um, I think that's what gives me hope because if I if I stay glued to um, what's being portrayed on the news or what's you know being portrayed on social media, I would be really you know I'd probably be locked up in the ward somewhere with anxiety <laughs> and panic and depression and everything. Yeah, like you know you go into hiding, but we know our hope is in God and He's in complete control and. You know, um, just, you know, you run the race that God has set before you to run. And just remind yourself, God is in control, and, and he does have a master plan. Yeah. Amen. Um, I think it's, it's encouraging. I mean, hearing, hearing each of you share uh, from that perspective on, on hope um, and thinking, too, our perspective is so unique as, as followers of Christ because from, we, we serve— um, a king who by, you know, worldly expectations was a failure. You know, he was crucified at 33 and that was it. Um, but we know that he, that he rose again, that he's still on the throne. Um, and that gives us hope. And um, I think that helps us see things more clearly. It helps us contrast what we believe the mission of the church is versus a, an organization or a political candidate. Um, something I've noticed that they, they that so many of these, <laughs> these uh, whether they're initiatives or politicians that have in common is that they all have the answer to the thing that's going to solve everything. Right. You know, um, and I wrote this quote down from, uh, from Tim Keller this week um, that stuck with me that he just says, Christianity does not claim that if our agenda is followed, most of our problems will be fixed. 
Christians believe that we can fight for justice in the knowledge that eventually God will put all things right. But until then, we can never expect to fully fix the world. Um, and many, many years before he wrote that, um, C.S. Lewis, um, in one of his essays, wrote, um, I have received no assurance that anything we can do will eradicate suffering. I think the best results are obtained by people who work quietly away at limited objectives, such as the abolition of the slave trade or prison reform, not by those who think they can achieve universal justice or health or peace. I think the art of life consists in tackling each immediate evil as well as we can. And that was written right around the time of World War II. Um, but I thought I was actually going to read those quotes and then ask your opinion on them, and you guys beat me to it, um, and sharing just kind of the hope that is in you that, mm. um, that moves you forward in pursuing justice. Um, that I just found to be so encouraging. That's good. Um, so just in closing, um, I want to just say again to our church, just remind you, this is not a comprehensive solution, as we just said. We're, we're not fixing it all. These, are, these three people, four people, do not have all the answers. Um, but we do serve a God that does, and we are committed to following him, and we invite you to join us in that. You know, our... Our mission statement is, in, is joining Christ in the renewal of all things. Um, justice is all about renewal. Um, God is all about bringing about renewal. And so I hope that, that kind of this discussion for you um, has maybe been, been stirring some thoughts, some, some emotions, uh, maybe like Purnell, maybe things that have been there for a while that you've kind of been pushing down. Um, if it has, we want to hear about them. Um, this is an invitation to you. Um, the people you see on, on stage here, Luther, Edna, um, Purnell, none of them, you know, woke up one morning, decided to start a nonprofit and change the world. Um, these are all people that work full-time jobs. Um, they serve at our church and they just ask God, how do you want to use me? Um, how can I serve um, the cause of your justice where you would want me to serve? And that's what they're doing. Um, and so I hope that's encouraged you. I know it's really encouraged me. Um, and what we're going to do is in the, uh, the video description, we're actually going to put a link in there. It's a calendar link. Um, if you feel like God's putting something on your heart um, in, in pursuit of biblical justice, we want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. So that link will allow you to schedule uh, a meeting with one of us, uh, one of the pastors. Um, we want to know how we as a church can get behind you. You know, in, in Ephesians uh, 4.12, it talks about equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Um, that is, that's our church. Um, and so we want to help equip you um, to follow uh, the passion that God's placed in your heart to, to bring about justice, to bring about renewal. Um, so if you feel like God's, God's been working in your heart, um, he's placed something there, please click that link, schedule a meeting with us. Um, let's talk. Um, just in closing, um, I just want to, <clears throat> excuse me, let's close with a, this quick story um, from one of my uh, favorite books I've read recently called Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. Um, near the end of the book, he's sharing about how um, after coming out of the courtroom, he encounters this older lady um, who just sits there in the courtroom um, for the sole purpose of uh, trying to bring peace and justice to the people that are coming in and out of the courtroom. Um, and he, he goes back to the story in, in John of the woman that was, was caught in adultery. And when she's brought uh, to Jesus, the Pharisees bring her to Jesus. And uh, I'm sure most of you know the story. Jesus tells them, you know, whoever is without sin, let them cast the first stone. And one by one, they, they slowly walk away. And, um, and Brian Stevenson says, he was, he's reminded that that when these people accused the woman of adultery, um, he told them, let, let, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Jesus forgave her and urged her to sin no more. But today, our own self-righteousness, our fear, our, our anger, have caused even the Christians to hurl stones at the people who fall down, even when we know we should forgive or show compassion. 
Um, and he, he calls on us as, as the phrase that this woman uh, gave him was to be stone catchers. Um, and that's something that's just stuck with me um, since I read that book is what does it mean to be a stone catcher? What does it mean to stand in the place um, of justice um, as one who is a sinner, um, who's been redeemed, um, who wants to pursue justice for um, those who God wants to redeem? So I pray that that uh, challenges you, church. Um, we all love you. We're praying for you. Um, we wish we could be there with you. Um, so just going to close this out. I'm going to ask uh, Luther just to close us in prayer. Um, and just a reminder, no hangout today, um, but hope you've enjoyed this discussion with these amazing people. And we look forward to seeing you next week.